Rewinding. Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Well, it's a pleasure for me to, to talk to this man, having followed him for many years, and now uh, privileged enough to call him a colleague, John Pullman. Thank you so much for, for talking to us. Good evening, John. Yeah, hi. Thanks so much for having me. Let's start at the beginning, um, because you studied, as I was doing my research about John Pullman history, um, and also did development studies at Wits University, is that correct? Yeah, that's what I got my honours degree in. Before that, did history as well. So, how did you end up being a journalist? Did you always know that you were interested in this field? So, I knew that I wanted to investigate things and write about them. I started off, the very first job I got out of university was at a place called the South African Institute of Race Relations, which every year... Um, produced something called the Survey of Race Relations. And you were given, uh, I got, when I got the job there, you got assigned certain things you had to write about. So some people wrote about the economy, some people wrote about healthcare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I did that for a while, but all the while I was doing it, I realized that I didn't really want to write that kind of more academic stuff that actually I wanted to write things that I could do fairly quickly, that people would read fairly quickly and that would reach hopefully quite a wide audience. So that led me in the direction of journalism. And to be honest, once I was through that door, I never really came out. So when you started and, and you said, you, okay, journalism is something I'm interested in, did you have a specific discipline or uh, or an area of journalism that you were? Because um, my understanding is, especially uh, back then, uh, you were encouraged to, to be a generalist in the beginning and then kind of specialize as you found your feet. How did you, did you always know that I have an interest in sport or I have an, an interest in society and I'd like to pursue that? Or did it just kind of unfold as you worked on the beat? So, Musibudi, it was a little bit of a zigzag. Um, I think I got into writing about football because, well, the, the, the first real journalism job I got was at the Mail and Guardian. Mm-hmm. And the job they were offering was to be the sports editor. Now, that sounds very <laughs> grand, but I can tell you it was a very small newspaper. It had two sports pages and they hired me for two days a week. So I was just delighted to have uh, an opportunity to be part of the team. It was a very exciting newspaper. It was called the Weekly Mail in those days. So I did my two sports pages and then I said, listen, can I do other things? And I um, offered myself for political stories. I offered uh, to review movies. And one of the reasons I did it with such enthusiasm was I got paid by the word. Ah. So the more words I could write, uh, the more money I took home. They soon got wise to this and offered me a full-time job because it was much cheaper. <laughs> what was the going rate per word? How many cents per <laughs> word in those days? Do you remember? Uh, I think it was cents, not rand. I, I, I can't remember, to be honest. Um, but, yeah, living was cheaper, too. Exactly. So you, you end up having a full-time job uh, at the Mail and Guardian. What, what does this full-time job entail? Do they, do they conflate all of those roles and say, right, you're doing everything, sport, um, uh, politics, whatever assignments we give you? Yeah, and I think there, I think it was a mix. Like you know, it, it was a place that really encouraged you to come with your own ideas. But look, I really threw myself into into the sports part of it, and in particular football. So um, this was 1987 when it started for me, and South African football was incredibly exciting in those years because you had lots of strong teams. You had the big three who really were a big three. Swallows were a, a fabulous mm-hmm. team to mm-hmm. watch. They didn't always get the success that their 
Um, colorful football and their brilliance deserved their Chiefs and Pirates. Obviously, although Pirates were going through hard times uh, for, for some of that patch, Sundowns were emerging as a force with the money of Zola Mahobe yes. playing a big part in that. Jomo Cosmos were a fantastic team to watch with Roy Matthews, the manager, Jomos, Jomo Sono playing, but also the talent scout and young, young players like Thomas Marechache coming through. But then you also had power in other parts of the country. So Bushbucks were really exciting yes. with Calvin Peterson um, and, and a couple of other players, Mark Tovey playing at the back after he left Chiefs. And then you had a really, really exciting Celtic team with Dave Roberts, the manager, Ernest Chirwale, yes. Eden Kadango was a brilliant centre-back. Ernest Chihuahua's uh, cousin, uh, um, uh, Cedric Nakamua, came and joined the team. So, literally, there, there were great competitive games played in front of big crowds um, every single week. Um, and no certainty at the beginning of any season as to who would win the league. It was a fabulous, fabulous time to be a football journalist. And the other thing that was really great, I don't know if it's the same now, because I've been out of touch for a while... But you could kind of show up at any club's practice and watch mm -hmm. and grab the coach afterwards and see what they were doing. And, and I made, uh, I like to think, good, really a really good connection with Ted Dimitru, who I loved hanging out with because Ted was not only a good coach, but he was a scholar um, and, and a student of football. And I had so much to learn. And I was just grateful that he taught me. Wow. It's the home of the Afropolitan, KFM 95.9. We're talking to John Pullman about his career in journalism. We'll focus more on the sports side tonight um, and in particular football he, because he's mentioned some names that many will have forgotten for oh, so long ago. But some of those names, when they come to mind, just the, the mention of Calvin Peterson for me and that very entertaining Morocco Swallow side uh, with all, all, all September, Eric September and others was was a team that 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 I first fell in love with. So, do you remember John then the first game that you would have attended and and where it was? Because if it's 1987, it's not too long after the state of emergency. Certainly, changes on the horizon in South Africa, but some of the games are still being played in the township. And uh, you know what was that like? Your experience of going in and reporting as a as a young white man going into the township and just loving football. Of course, then. Football was one of the most um, um, integrated sports in, in South Africa. So my, my contact with football in the township goes back much, much further to the late 1970s. Mm -hmm. I matriculated in 1976. And from 1977 onwards, I had a real fascination from a distance with the great, great Soweto teams, uh, Chiefs, Pirates, Swallows, but also the other teams swirling around that. Vitbank Aces was a very exciting team at that time. Uh, Junior Ngobe was, was a particular star in that team. Mm -hmm. And I was determined to go and watch games at Orlando Stadium as often as I possibly could. Um, the, the the one handicap I had was that I didn't own a car and I also didn't have a driver's license. But I found a little sort of pool of friends and I'd say, we have to go and do this. Like, this is just completely amazing. Uh, the atmosphere, you won't regret it. So if you wouldn't mind picking me up. My first attempt, by the way, was a complete failure because I had a friend, uh, a guy called Drew Jennings, who was also passionate about football but also didn't have a car. And Drew picked up the phone and very cheekily rang Cy Lerman up. Uh, <laughs> Chiefs were playing Pirates in the Derby. I think it was, anyway, it was a huge game. And he phoned and said, 
listen, Mr. Lerman, you don't know us, but could you give us a ride? Um, and I think he was so taken aback, he said, meet me round the side of the, Sun, uh, of the Rand Daily Mail building. And, of course, we waited there and uh, nobody ever picked us up. So, <laughs> so my, my, trip was, my trip was delayed. But I want to share a story because you asked a very specific question, Musibudi. How did I feel as really a young white boy almost uh, sort of trying to become a man? And I remember going to a uh, Man's Day Cup semifinal between Chiefs and Swallows that turned out to be an absolute classic, finishing 5-5. Mm-hmm. And Ace and Swellangwe scored four goals. And I went with a friend and I said, we must go early because it's going to be really full. And the old Orlando uh, Stadium had an athletics track going around it. Yes. When we arrived there, the place was completely jammed. You were just able to kind of wiggle your way through the crowd sitting on the athletics track. And as we got behind the goal on the south side of the stadium, some people started shouting. They said, yay, Mlungu, come. And they gestured for us. And people almost passed us up through the crowd. And three complete strangers just said, what are you guys doing here? And we got chatting and they made us welcome. And I always thought to myself, what a what a blessing. And in a way, it foretold many things that would happen in this country in terms of the kind of forgiveness uh, that some people say too much of it is, has been shown towards white South Africa. But I thought if two young boys from uh, uh, Shawelo decided to go to Loftus mm. uh, on the same day I went to Orlando, I mean, we know how they would have been treated. So I generally felt welcome. I felt I felt incredibly blessed. Um and obviously, as I got older, I was able to make my way there. So by the time I became a journalist, I kind of felt, not, not that I was at home, because I think that's, that would be presumptuous, but Comfortable. Um, I, I felt welcome. Mm. A fascinating story being told by John Pullman, as only he can, sharing with us his story of, of where the love started, the love for journalism. And already you can hear... Uh, as a young boy just out of high school he had that interest in football and uh, the bravery to say right I don't care I'm going into the township with my friend I want to watch football I've heard about these great matches and I'm going to watch them firsthand but let's go even further back then John about sports specifically because um, I find that for most people the love for sport has come from some sort of uh, sport in the family, whether it's a parent that really loved it or they played a little bit as a child and it was encouraged at home. Where does that love for sport for you come from? So I think it's, it's, it's a mix. It, it was definitely a big part of it was live sport. Um, my parents mainly liked going to rugby and cricket and rugby was played at Ellis Park and rugby was a rough, rough place to go and visit when I was growing up they would um, there would always be huge Nazi fights and by by huge I mean you would have entire grandstands throwing Nazis at each other and you know a Nazi <laughs> thrown from 35 rows up if it hits you at the on the back of the head it's, it's pain- pretty painful yes. <laughs> um, so my parents my parents liked to go to rugby my father though worked a lot on the weekend so didn't take me often I had an older brother who would sometimes take me to football, um, and I really loved uh, live football. And, and that was something that got under my skin very early on, I think because I loved playing the game. 
I remember the first time um, I ever went, the, the big event in white football in the 60s was something called the Castle Cup Final at the Rand Stadium. And you couldn't get in. If you didn't have a ticket in advance, there was no way you'd get in. And this friend of mine, uh, his dad said, come, let's just go and try. And we went to the stadium and we were saying, any tickets, any tickets? We've got two small boys. Can you let them in? And some guy said, oh, just go to gate number five. And when you get there, say, Horsey Lewis sent you. And <laughs> I'll never forget this. I think I was about 10 at the time. The guy came along and said, Horsey uh, Lewis sent us. The guy said, sure thing. How many are you? And they let us in. So <laughs> Who's Horsey Lewis? Already at... Yeah, I've never ever found out who Horsey Lewis was. Um, but anyway, Horsey Lewis did me a big one, and I went to my first cup final. My parents um, didn't really like my obsession with sport. Um, they wanted me to be more academic, and if I had a bad school report, the, the punishment was always measured out in football. You're not going to games. You're not buying football magazines. You're not listening to football on the radio. Get your get your marks up and we'll think about it. So, strange relationship with, with him. But, of course, then in those days, everything was on the radio. And that's where I grew to love the sound of commentary. And when I'd be playing in the garden, um, I think I'd be doing more talking than running because I'd just be doing a running commentary, whether it was cricket or whatever. Uh, John Pullman sharing with us um, how he fell in love with sport, but also getting into radio because we focused a little bit on starting out as a print journalist and then you would move into radio where then many South Africans came to know you. Football commentary, we heard your voice and um, some may have heard your voice recently because the SABC are screening some of those old games going back to the 80s and, and early 90s and even uh, early 2000s. They, they played a Coca-Cola Cup final yesterday from 2001. You had a show, if I remember correctly, at the Graham's uh, Town Arts Festival, which was something to do about the love of radio or the wonder of, of radio, um, which, was, which was quite popular. Um, wh- what was that about? Uh, what was the magic of radio for you? So that, that was a very special time in my life because that's when I first got into what I've been doing for 13 years at Kaya FM. Um, I was then at the SABC and we introduced an extra hour on the show called The After Eight Debate. Uh, where we'd pick a topic, as we do on today with John Pullman, and, and we invite people to join in. We'd have a couple of guests, and the format was very, very similar. But what the show I did at Grahamstown was about was just about the incredible insight and wisdom you get from listeners. And, and Musibudi, you know that just as well as I do from the, the great work you do at Kaya, that that engagement where you, you, you're wrestling with a topic and suddenly you've got Lerato from White City and they've just got a really clear idea as to what that was all about. So that was the show I did. And what I did was I produced some of my favorite clips um, of, of listeners and then explained why I thought they were so wonderful and, and, and what I learned from them. So that's, that's now jumping ahead um, to, to, yes. to what you've learned from listeners. Compare that then, because commentary is a little bit different. It started out with radio, but now it's on, it's, it's on television because people um, uh, are listening and thinking, I'd love to be a football commentator. Nowadays, uh, there are all sorts of great commentators. Uh, Peter Drury, very popular around the world and others. But, but how is commentary different as a journalistic skill from 
from say hosting a talk show as you do where you're taking different points of view where you're interacting with listeners where you've got mm, guests mm. Uh, where does football commentary or sports commentary feature so I think I think the first thing uh, difficulty that I experienced with commentary Musibudi was a really practical one <laughs> because nobody told me that the producer would be talking in your ear while you're trying to talk yourself. I, I don't know why nobody told me. So in the beginning, I thought, what is going on here? And, um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, um, you know, you, you're busy talking and you, you, you're trying to identify players yes. and, and, and pick up the patterns in the game. And in the background, you're hearing camera one, camera one, camera one, give me Chiefs bench, camera one, camera one, <laughs> on one, two, two, give me the crowd, give me the crowd. And I thought, I can't do this. And then, of course, you do do it because you have to do it. And then eventually you learn to do it. I mean, one of the interesting things about um, being a commentator was my d- real desire to be neutral. And even though I have had more than one South African team that I've been in love with, from the time I became a commentator, I became, uh, can I call it, completely celibate. I just decided... Um, yeah, I'm, I, I can't even have that in the back of my mind that I'm, that I love sundowns or I'm a, a pirates fan or whatever. And I suppose talk radio is a little bit the same, that in a way you try to use that neutrality to get the best out of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, I have a lot of viewpoints and I think I do express them on, on today with John Pullman, but in a way try to do it in a way that says, okay, well, let's hear what you have to say as well. But, yeah, commentary was just was just fabulous. The um, the 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 privilege of being at a game, particularly the big games. I mean, you know, obviously, um, you you could see some brilliant football at in Chatsworth watching Manning Rangers play Fairway Stars, but there was nothing to beat a top eight final between uh, Sundowns and Chiefs, where Daniel Modal scores an incredible goal. You know, in mm-hmm. in a way, that's what you do it for for those big moments. It's Kai FM 95.9, the home of the Afropolitan, and we're listening to the engaging story of John Pullman, just sharing with us his history uh, over three decades working in uh, in journalism, in broadcasting here in South Africa. And Dr. Cindy Fansel, who's just walked out of the studio, says, interesting show, I suppose, on her drive home with uh, Musibudi Whitehead and Dr. John Pullman on Kai FM right now, encouraging you to tune in. And you can uh, find me at Musi Whitehead using the hashtag the home straight. Otherwise, 86 If maybe you remember a game that John Pullman called, a commentary, and you're like, oh, I remember John when he was a football commentator. Oh, I used to read the paper uh, when he wrote stories, uh, sports stories. But how did you get into uh, a, a, a commentary? Did you always think, feel that you it, it was something that you could be good at? Or, or as you said, you were growing up, you were always talking when you were playing football. But how, how did you get into it? And did you think that it was something you could succeed at? Yeah, I think I think as with most things in my journalism career, it's all about you kind of tap on the door and you try to find a way in which you can get your foot in at least uh, part of the way through the door before it slams shut. <laughs> so my my broadcasting of 
my talking about sport, let's let's call it that. Started with um, doing sports reports on on uh, Talk Radio Seven Hundred Two. First of all, doing it um, reporting on South African football, and then I went and covered the nineteen ninety World Cup. Yes. Um, very much on my uh, own expenses. I I got some money for my flight, but after that, I had to work for people to 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 cover the trip. Which, in Italy, which, yes. In Italy, yeah, which I did successfully. Um, and then the SABC had some sports shows on a Sunday night. I can't remember what they were called. They, they, they were football shows, um, a kind of a roundup program, I think, of about 30 minutes. And I got in the door there doing voiceovers. So there would be footage, uh-huh. and you'd have to do not a commentary but a, a, yes. a narrative to explain what had happened. Like a highlights package, yes. Exactly, yeah. exactly in that match between Amazulu and Arcadia or whatever it was. And then I just got a break. Roy Bailey, the late Roy Bailey, used to be the commentator. And I think I'd be knocking around and putting myself forward. And then they said, okay, Roy's going to be your comments man and you're going to be the commentator. And it was really in at the deep end. And I did that for a while. And then I, many people will remember Trevor Quirk. Yes, um, from Top Sport. Yeah, I contacted Trevor Quirk and I just said to him, Listen, can I bring you a couple of tapes? Drop them off at your office, and w- would you mind? Will you just will you just tell me what I'm doing? That's that's acceptable, but tell me what I'm what mistakes I'm making. And Trevor Quirk was one of the most brilliant teachers of anything that I've encountered because I went to him twice, once for uh, assisting me with with when I had to be on the field presenting, and once with commentary. And he absolutely put me in the right direction, but he did it in such a constructive way. You know, often people think people who have succeeded are not willing to to teach, but Trevor was a remarkable, remarkable uh, uh, guide for me at the beginning. Do you remember what he said to you in a nutshell? Yeah, I do. I remember the first uh, on the first one. Um, the the tape I brought him, I felt I'd done a really poor job. And what he did was the first 10 minutes, he said, listen to that, that's really good. And listen to that, that's really good. And boy, that was nice. And yeah, you got that right. And then he said to me, I always spend the first 10 minutes telling people what they've done well. And after that, I was completely receptive to the, the stuff that he wanted me to work on. The thing of getting used to presenting, because at, on a football field presenting, um, there are a lot of distractions. I remember yes. when Pirates won the league and they won it down in Durban when Mike McCarb was coach. I was busy interviewing Marks Maponiane and suddenly I was completely blinded uh, because Edward Mortale had, had sprayed us both from point blank range with a bottle of champagne. <laughs> but, <laughs> My chance. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the, back to Trevor Quirk. So what we did in the studio... I was, he gave me a script to read and I was reading the script. And then in the background, him and all the other people in the sound booth were chatting and somebody had a chip packet and they were rustling the chips and saying, what are you going to have for lunch? And hey, you guys, did you check the movie on SABC last night? And I had to get through it. And then, Ah. and, and as I got better, they made it harder. And then eventually I could do it. And he said to me, right, if you can do that, you can do anything. Ah. So he was a, he was a very skilled man. Yeah, the importance as well of mentorship here being shared by John Pillman. And we'll get into some of the the mentorship work that you've done as we get towards the end of the interview. A question being asked here uh, uh, from Shoni about uh, the Dreamfields project. But before that, just wrapping up the commentary one, you've mentioned big cup finals. But 
surely there must be nothing that can compete with that the game on inauguration day in 1994 on the on the 10th of may when uh, president nelson mandela arrived at ellis park at halftime which sounded which was like an eternity and everyone you interview about that game said what a special game it was between bafana bafana and zambia and you had the privilege of being the commentator yeah it's i mean when when you look back on on life in general and professional life in particular that's that's right up there in the top 10 Interestingly enough, I nearly didn't commentate that day. Okay. Um, <laughs> when I got to when I got to Ellis Park, and you can imagine, I was really early, like you know the boy on the first day of school. You know, <laughs> you're in the front desk, and you've got your pens and 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 a case bit and of everything pa- out. Yeah, absolutely. You clean behind your ears. So I was ready to go, and the producer on the day came to me and said, "Listen, there's a change of plan." And I said, "Okay." And he said. We need to provide Zambian television with commentary, and it has to be in English the whole way through. Because I was doing the game with Umdan Sitsedi. Yes, you know, it was a com- mm. complete legend. And 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 they said, so we're gonna somebody else is gonna do the English, and you're gonna do the commentary for Zambia. And I said, I I I, I can't. And and I really dug my heels in. I said, guys, this is the day of our lives. You know. Mm. It may never be bigger than this, and it's never been as big as this before. And I just said, I, I, I can't even remember what I said. I, I'm, I, I hope I was polite, <laughs> but but I was absolutely firm, and I just said, uh, uh-uh, sorry, can't do it. Can't, I, I can't do it. So they found someone else for the Zambia game. Interestingly enough, I mean, at halftime, uh, halftime was very long, and and you know, a lot of people and 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 the the mythology around Madiba magic has all been focused because it's been uh because it was a rugby world cup final and because of obviously what hollywood's done and so on as that's where madiba magic began but madiba magic began that day uh in sports uh, on that zambia match we'd never beaten them madiba comes on and brendan augustine i think and and doc kumala scored two goals in three minutes and I, we couldn't remember because we exchanged commentary every five ten minutes i couldn't remember who was supposed to pick up the game after uh, the presentation to the to the new president and i said you take it um dan and then of course two goals were scored um so i thought that was really fitting because um dan had put in many many more shifts than me so yes. there was a little part of me that thought oh, i wish that was my voice on that soundtrack but it it was very precious and very special a special time indeed, and uh, that was also the beginning of um, an eight-year period in which uh, Bafana Bafana would rise to be one of the dominant forces on the continent and ranked inside the top 20 in the world. And then, and then John Pullman, then you went ahead and moved on to current affairs, but your, your, your passion for sport remained undiminished, which brings us to the question asked here by Thoni Mutlaung, who will also be chatting to us a little bit later about athletics, but is listening to the show here on Kai FM 95.9, listening to John Pullman sharing his story with us about a life spent in journalism, starting out in sport and now in the current affairs, but I guess generally in society, in South African life. What, what then made you decide to get into Dreamfields? You 
often speak about this, that the, when the 2010 World Cup was coming around, you felt that this was a, a, an opportunity to do something. How did you get it done? From the point of view that we have a lot of people trying to start similar foundations, similar programs for young people, but maybe they run out of steam here and there. Yeah. It goes on for a while, a year or two, and then the, the person running it says, I can't make any money out of this. I'm going to go back and, and back into the job that I had before. How have you been able to keep it going since... Uh, uh, for over a decade now. Yeah, 2007 uh, we started Musi So coming up for for 13 years, you know, I think. I, I, look, let let me be be very fair about this. My name did open some doors mm-hmm. um, because there were people who um, either I had interviewed or had listened to my radio show on the SABC. So th- there's no doubt that being known was an advantage. And the very very first person. I went to see um, about Dreamfields was uh, someone who many people will know, Dr. Vincent Mapai, who's a political analyst, yes. a very distinguished career in the SAP corporate world as well. SA Breweries. Yeah. He at the time was chairman of, of a huge mining company called BHP Billiton. And he's the, he was the first person I went to see. And BHP Billiton was Dreamfields' first sponsor. Now, it didn't happen quickly because after I'd given him my presentation, he said, this is fantastic. And I thought, okay, well, you know, I just, you know, shall I wait in the lobby for the check? Um, (laughs) But in fact, it was another six months because I had to go through his board. And let me tell you, people ask you some really tough questions. Dreamfields has had, um, had, had a lot of wind at our back, at our backs when the 2010 World Cup was coming to our country because people who couldn't afford to or decided not to be FIFA sponsors were nevertheless looking to give something to South Africa's children as part of the celebration. So we had a really good first three years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we almost we, – we were staring at, at a big hole in the ground on more than one occasion. Where, Financially, you're talking. Yeah, yeah, where I wasn't entirely sure – uh, that that we would necessarily be able to to carry on, but I think we've got a very stable model now where we don't have one big sponsor. In the beginning, we had two Old Mutual and BHP Bulletin, and we've got our support is spread across about eight different partners. Mm-hmm. Um, so it means that nobody can make you completely happy, but nobody can uh, put you in the ground either. And it's it's a tough model to make work because you've got to you've got to service. Uh, different stakeholders in different communities. But on the whole, I think it's one that allows me to sleep a lot more. On sleep, did you get much whilst you were running Dreamfields? Because you were still working, you were still presenting uh, shows on Kai FM and doing uh, some other work, be it uh, as an MC or perhaps the on, on television now and again. So that juggling act? You know, I, I kept busy, but, you know, you've met a couple of my colleagues, notably uh, Silas Mashabo, who's mm-hmm. been with us for, for 11 years now, or might even be coming on for 12. And I think you've got a sense, you've, you, you've come and visited us, just how good these guys are. So one of the things I had to learn to do was not try and do everything myself. Uh-huh. And the other thing I had to learn to do was not try and decide if it wasn't going to be, who should it be? Because... The, the the team of people I've got are, are, are incredibly self-sufficient and uh, incredibly well-tuned into each other's strengths and, and weaknesses. I wouldn't call them weaknesses, but what they're best at and, and what they're, they're only average at. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it's meant I've always been busy, but I've 
over the years developed quite a lot of peace of mind, I must say, because, um, yeah, you, you get good people around you and, and then you really know you can build something that will last. We're wrapping up this interview here with John Pullman on Kaya FM 95.9. As we approach 20 to 9, can you believe it? Time has absolutely flown. As he's been telling us his story, the love for sport, where it began, going into the townships as a young man to watch football, and later becoming a commentator, a print journalist, and now being involved with Dreamfields Project, which is all about grassroots football development alongside uh, his career in broadcasting. A word of advice then, John, for the youngsters that are listening. Uh, We find a lot of young journalists listen to this particular feature and we had a lot of positive feedback when we had the likes of Matsilani Mamabolo and others speaking to us. What would you say to someone who wants to succeed specifically in uh, broadcast journalism? Um, Would you advise maybe starting out in print and moving that way, given how the world has changed with social media? People are now saying, okay, let me post my video and maybe someone will see it. How how does one get into it? But importantly, how does one sustain a career in broadcast journalism over decades? Yeah, look, it, it, it is tough now because the, the, the economy is in such dire straits. And, of course, the hard thing about sports journalism, and my, uh, can I just take this opportunity to su- salute people who, who do sports journalism when, when there is no sport going on. But back to your question, I think the one thing that I would say holds true in, in any era, just, just do whatever you can to get into a newsroom, to get onto a TV crew, to get into a newspaper, you have to be willing to do anything. So when someone says, oh, at the little community newspaper where you're working, um, we need somebody to cover the the um, Christmas party for the orphans. I'll do that. Mm-hmm. Yep, I'll take pictures. And you just keep doing it and you keep doing it. Um, and... In the radio space, get yourself into a studio. I'll come and help, you know. Learn how to edit tape, uh, ed- 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 edit interviews. Did you hear me? Yeah, learn I how to edit tape. tape. <laughs> yeah, that's a while back. Learn, learn how to edit interviews. Ask if you can go with journalists when they're going to cover a match. Um, if you're going off to do an interview, if Musibudi has agreed to take you under his wing and, and he's going off to a press conference with Wade Fanika, go along. Be a nuisance. Tag along. And, and listen, 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 and see what does he do? What did Wade Fanico do when he was asked a certain kind of question? Why did he respond better to that other question? And ask questions of people. And, yeah, I, I don't know any other way to do it. Look, there will be some people who will be discovered maybe because they post a, a brilliant piece of commentary on social media or they do a brilliant interview or whatever. And I really hope that happens to some people. But for most people, the route is... It's just chipping away, chip, chip, and see what you can do. And and volu- that's what I did it to go back to the the weekly mail. You know, mm. I'll go and review a play. I'll review. Do you need some? Uh, do you need movies reviewed? I see your arts pages are short, full stories. I'll do that. Mm. You know, mm. and and it adds up. And and I hope that people who follow that advice will be rewarded. Now that last question is a two part two part question that we always ask our guests. Um, advice to youngsters but also as a consumer because now you're also consuming sport and sports journalism what would you like to consume at this time 
especially COVID-19, not much in the way of professional sports. We're seeing a lot of hit sports documentaries that people have now time to watch. I think The Last Dance um, has been uh, well received, but there have been plenty others. What would you like to, 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 to consume from a South African uh, a broadcaster or, or sports journalism perspective? Are there any stories that you feel could be told well during this time uh, of COVID-19, during this lockdown when there isn't any professional sport on the go? So what I love is something that takes you into the dressing room. And it doesn't have to literally be the dressing room, but I think you know what I mean, that takes you to the story behind the story. I'm always fascinated by, for example, great teams. What held a great team together? So, for example, the, the brilliant Sundowns teams of Shushan and Piano. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sit down with, with Harold Lechodi, with, with uh, Harris Chueo and, um, and, and, and any of the others, um, and say to them, so what was Screamer like as a coach? What was his style? Did he scream? Did he, how, did, how did he do things? Did you have extensive tactical discussions or did you trust so much in your own ability that you just said, listen, we'll play our game and, and, and the other team can do what they want? So that sort of thing fascinates me. I'm fascinated by individual uh, achievement in sports. So boxers are particularly interesting. Relationship between trainers and fighters. What is it like to uh, develop a relationship with a fighter where you end up, you know, you, you love the boy um, and, and you become involved in their life, but every couple of months you send them out to be punched mm-hmm. you know what's that like um so anything that because th- this time is static and and new history is not being made is to go back on really special things and they don't have to be earth shattering but just really interesting teams um really interesting moments teams that should have won more like the great uh, swallows, swallows teams yes. of happy cow and and asim nini you know get those guys and say what was the missing piece, you know? Mm. You'd be leading the league so close and then somehow just something was missing. So, yeah, that, anyone who's doing that kind of stuff, they've got me as an audience. John Pullman, thank you so much for talking to us. Uh, that was the final question, but a quick one has just come in here on Twitter where you can find me at Musi Whitehead. Uh, and I recently interviewed these uh, guys for news, um, Operation Hunger. And um, being asked about your mom uh, and her involvement with Operation Hunger, because, of course, they were involved in some of the uh, uh, spectaculars. They were the beneficiary, the charity that benefited and would then go on and feed the masses. Um, Did you, were you involved in any capacity there, get to watch from the sidelines? Uh, How did Operation Hunger influence you? So... um but I think by the time my mom was really in the thick of it, uh, it, she was doing it while I was still at school. But I think the, the sort of busy, busiest years were when I'd moved to university and left home. Um, yeah, I, I would have gone to a few of their things. They had a concert in the park, which was a, a spectacular event. Mm-hmm. They used to have a race day at Turfentine. Uh, I think it was called the Million Million Rand something or other. I can't I can't directly remember the title, so I'd attend some of those. And then, of course, yeah, the Wisa Spectacular, which the fans loved. Yes. But I can tell you, as a journalist, it was a long day, man. <laughs> it was a long day. Hey, we and, loved sitting in the sun the whole day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true, and it 
it and it was an incredible success. So um, it, it it it's a shame it's not there anymore. Yeah. Well, I guess um, it has influenced you because you continue some of that work through through Dreamfields. Perhaps another way, uh, also continuing that legacy of of giving back to South Africans. John Pillman, thank you so much for talking to us tonight here on the Home Straight, and uh, all the best. Still many more years as 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 a journalist. Yeah, well, I uh, can't think of anything else I want to do, so I'm going to hang in by my fingernails. Thank you very much for having me. It's, it's always a, an incredible pleasure to talk about sport and football and memories. Very, very special. Oh, thank you, John Pullman. Uh, what a wonderful guest. Thank you so much for talking to us here on The Home Straight. Rewinding, Rewinding Kaya FM on FM Rewind. Visit kayafm.co.za for more.